You're now listening to the Tax Smart REI Podcast. Your source for all things real estate, accounting, and tax. Here we reveal our secrets that can save you thousands in taxes, streamline your accounting process, and help grow your business. Stay tuned to hear insightful interviews with industry experts, successful real estate investors, and current clients on what strategies they use to grow their business and how they steer clear of Uncle Sam. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Tax Smart REI podcast. Today, we're going to go through another year-end episode. You know, as we kind of get to year-end, people always kind of ask the same type of questions, and we want to make sure people have clarity on certain strategies. So we'll be going through today, we're going to be going through cost segregation study timing. We're going to go through a special limited partner strategy you can use that kind of leverages cost segregation studies and bonus depreciation to an extent. And then last but not least, we're going to be talking about some STR tips and just some guidelines that you're going to want to be aware of as we head towards this year end. So before we actually get started, I got a question for you. Uh, yeah. I know that there's that massive snowstorm rolling through. You guys getting snow? Right now, it's no snow here in New York yet. If I'm taking a look at it's a freezing warning. It's 32 degrees. Buffalo's getting like six feet, right? Something like that. Oh, That's yeah. Buff- Buffalo gets crazy types of snow. Uh, here in Long Island, we don't get that type of crazy snow probably until maybe like Q1 of the year. The year-end tax tip is to buy a short-term rental in Florida, and then at the at the at the year end of every year, (laughs) go go down to the short-term rental in Florida. Yeah, that's be the snowbird, be the snowbird because you know what it is cold. It went, you know, my I met with my brother yesterday, and he goes, you know, the weather in New York has been crazy this year. It literally went from late August, it was like seventy-eight degrees, the beginning of November. Then it went to like September weather, like a week ago. A week ago today, I was almost a week ago today. I was walking New York City. It was like 65, 68 degrees, really nice. And then today it's thirty-six degrees, and it's like been like in thirties <laughs> all week. So it literally, just turns. He goes, it went from late August weather, September weather to November weather in a matter of three weeks, and. Yeah, we we had the same thing happen here in Raleigh. We it was seventy degrees and then it dropped to like forty five. So that's where we're at right now. But but let's uh, let's talk about cost segregation studies. So the running myth uh, about cost segregation studies is that you have to you have to pay for the study and get it done in the same year that you acquire your property, right? So if I if I bought a property today, I need to get my cost segregation study done by twelve thirty one of this year. That's the myth. And that's not true. You just need to get the cost segregation study done before you file your tax returns. So if I buy a property today, this is a 2022 tax return. I can file an extension on my 2022 tax returns and I can file my tax returns 10, 15, 20, 23. I think it's actually 10, 18 or 16 or something this year. But I can file in the 2022 returns are due October 2023. So I have until October 2023 to get a cost segregation study done on a property that I purchased in 2021. Now, you may be seeing cost segregation firms tell you otherwise, right? They may tell you, you got to get it done by the end of the year. And why is that? Why is that, Tom? You should know. Yeah, it's, it's it's sales. It's all about sales and quotas and year-end cutoffs, right? You know, yeah. at the end of the day, if I'm a sales representative, for example, I want to maximize my commission this year, my compensation this year. So one way I could drive, you know, urgency is by saying, hey, by the way, you know, you need to get this done by year end. Now all of a sudden you're rushing to get done by year end so that you know we can collect the fees before year end and lock it in for 2022 rather than have it bleed over to 2023. So yeah. that's probably why they're doing it. 
sales guys they have christmas gifts to buy right right so they're, they're trying to they're trying to they're trying to build that commission income so it's like a nice big year in payout but you because you listen to this podcast are smarter than that you don't need to fall into those traps i'm not saying that's necessarily bad like it's good to be proactive if you want to get a costing done done immediately go for it but don't feel pressured. Don't feel like you have to. You don't have to get a cost segregation study done until you get around to filing your tax returns for that year. And it could be beneficial to push the cost seg into the next year because you know you can get that tax return prepared and then you can look at it and ask, should I get a cost segregation study, right? Right. Rather than paying for it and hoping that you get around the passive activity loss rules because you would have to be able to get around the passive activity loss rules in order to claim the loss that the cost segregation study would provide you with. So there's certainly benefits to to waiting on getting that cost segregation study performed because you have a clearer picture after the end of the year, right? You know your numbers at that point. Your books are hopefully cleaned up and done. And now you're just filing that tax return and you can see very clearly how a cost segregation study would impact you and whether or not it's now worth the cost. So if you're doing it before the end of the year, you either know your tax situation really, really well, and you know that you're going to benefit from it, or you're guessing. And if you're guessing, push it off to next year. Yeah. And one thing I'll I'll add in there is two things, actually. The first thing is like, if you're going to wait till later on in the year, like say the summer or like as you kind of head into Q3, you want to make sure you give yourself enough time to get the cost segregation study completed so you can get the study into the hands of your tax preparer so they can file it by that October deadline or by that September deadline, if you're dealing with an entity like a like a partnership or an S corporation or something like that, even though we don't want to hold that pro- properties and S corporations, maybe you have one in there and it is what it is. The point is you just want to make sure you give yourself enough time, give your your, your tax preparer enough time to actually report it. Um, and you just don't want to wait too long. That's all. Yeah. Also, I know a lot of people ask this too. So if you're going to want to claim 100% bonus depreciation for 2022, your property needs to be placed in service by 1231 2022 and you could always get that cost segregation study done the next year and because you place the property in the service in 2022 it's going to be eligible for that bonus depreciation so while the cost segregation study doesn't necessarily need to be done this year by the end of this year the property that you're applying it to if you're looking to take that bonus depreciation in 2022 needs to be placed in service by the end of this year 2022. And speaking of place and service dates, um, we're going to talk about our second topic for year end, which is short-term rentals and placing those into service. Now, many people, technically speaking, your rental is placed into service when it's ready and available for rent. You don't technically need to rent it out, technically. But with short-term rentals, if you look at the 469 regs, short-term rentals, it says the average stay of your tenants is seven days or less, right? So if you're trying to optimize for the short-term rental exception, the 469 regs say that you have a short-term rental or you have a not a rental activity if your average period of customer use is seven days or less. And so the question becomes, how do you calculate average if you don't actually rent it out? And the answer is you can't. So with a short-term rental, you know, you can place a rental into service without renting it out technically. Now, we would not advise that you do that. We would advise that you actually rent it out. But technically, there are tax court cases that support the fact that if it's ready and available for rent, it can be placed into service. We advise that you rent it out. And that's the position that we also make our clients take on their tax returns. But with a short-term rental, 
you definitely have to rent it out. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to justify that it's a short-term rental. It's not going to meet that exception. All right, it's, You're not going to be able to say that my average period of customer use was seven days or less if you don't have any tenants. So you have to rent it out. And we would suggest that you rent it out many times. You know, we, we in the past have said two times. Technically, I think that that is still fine, but we are saying many times, as many times as possible. Because what we saw this year was investors, not our clients, but investors would rent their short-term rentals out two times, one guest one night, and then another guest one other night. Right. And, and so they would place their short term rental into service late December. They'd rent it out two times. Each guest stays one night. Therefore, they their average period of customer use is seven days or less. Technically, I guess you're fine. But I imagine that with the additional agents that the IRS is hiring, enforcement efforts will increase. And I imagine that that's going to be looked at at some point. So insulate yourself by placing the short-term rental into service as soon as you can and renting it out as many times as you can. And also, because we saw saw somebody ask this in a community group that we're a part of, make sure that your tenants actually stay at the property. Yeah. (laughs) So we, we we saw an interesting conversation occurring where it was like, okay, the context would be if I bought a short term rental and if Tom bought a short term rental, I would rent Tom's short term rental for one night and Tom would rent my short term rental for one night. And neither one of us would actually go to the short term rental to stay. We're just doing this to help each other out from a tax perspective. And that is doomed. Yeah, <laughs> don't think- do that. That is that. I don't even know if that's avoidance. That might actually be tax fraud. So don't play games, rent it to third parties, unrelated third parties, many, many, many times before the end of the year. You want to solidify your position that this is a short-term rental, that it meets the exception under the 469 regs that say my average period of customer use is seven days or less. Therefore, I don't have to qualify as a real estate professional in order to claim the losses generated from my short-term rental activity. I just have to materially participate, right? So solidify that. You want to rent it out as many times as possible to build your defense because I promise you these additional agents coming on board are going to be interested in looking at something like that. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day, you want your activity to be a legitimate business activity and you don't want to be doing it just for the taxes. And if you're doing things like renting it out to one of your friends for one day and you're not actually staying at the property or they're not actually staying at the property, that's a red flag and that can run into some issues. So you want to have it as many days as possible, like Brennan said, and you want it to be a legitimate short-term rental activity. In fact, you should be going into these activities, going into a short-term rental, treating it like a short-term rental business because you want to make money. Every, you know, we've spoken to, you know, dozens of investors at this point who are actually operating short-term rentals over long-term rentals because the ROI is sometimes two to three times greater than they could get on an otherwise short a uh, long-term rental. Just take a little mm-hmm. bit more work, absolutely, but you know what? That's what it takes. Sometimes you got to put in a little bit of effort if you want to if you want to do a business activity and get the tax benefits from it. That's just the bottom line. It's no free at, at, at the risk of hurting our own business, don't let the tax tail wag the dog, right? If you're going to buy a short-term rental, buy the short-term rental, go into it as I'm going to be a landlord. I'm going to run this thing at a highly effective rate. I'm going to make a lot of money and I'm going to structure my systems and operations to do that. The taxes, the tax piece of this is a cherry on top. 
it helps me reduce my cash into the deal and it helps me grow the next short-term rental property. But we see a lot of people, especially at the end of the year, which is why we're putting this podcast out now, many weeks in advance, just to give everybody warning. But we see many people, uh, many investors in these online community groups, you know, kind of like like rush to buy something by 1230 so that they can get the tax benefits. And I'm, I promise you, it doesn't work like that. Yeah, yeah, you can't, you can't, if you're trying to use this and you're, and you're waiting till the, the very last minute, I, I think, you know, you might run into some issues in the future. So uh, you want to just do your best to rent it out as many times as possible. Yeah. All right. So the last thing I think we have on today's agenda is going to be uh, investing in syndicates around the year end time period to generate passive losses that you can use to offset gains on the sale of either other syndicates that occur during the year or even rental properties as you own directly. And I mean, specifically long-term rental properties in this instance, here's how this works, right? So say you sell a rental property at a gain, right? You have a, a bit massive capital gain on it. Well, part of that capital gain is generally going to be you know, the gain from appreciation. So the true capital gain, if you will, and then you're going to have a part of the capital gain that's from a depreciation. So if you took depreciation over the uh, period of time, that's going to be a portion of the gain. That's called depreciation recapture. Now, if you're a passive investor, so meaning you're not a real estate professional in this example, or you're not using the short-term rental loophole, and say you sold a long-term rental property that you had, or you sold, or you were invested in a syndicate, and that was sold this year. Well, you're going to have this gain, and you can use passive losses to offset the gain. Now, there's a few sources of passive losses you can have. The first source is suspended passive losses. Suspended passive losses are found on Form 8582, of your tax return. So what you would do is you take a look at uh, your 2021 form 8582 to see if you have any unallowed passive losses from the prior year that are being suspended and carried forward. Those can be used to offset these gains. If you have a lot, you have enough to offset the gain on sale from your other property. Fantastic. You really don't have to do much. You could just wait and those losses will be used. Now, if you don't have enough losses, then what you can do is you can invest in another property this year in the same year you sold it, 2022, and then use the losses that are generated by that property to offset it. So what some people will do is they'll invest in a syndicate, make sure the syndicate is placing property in the service in 2022, making sure they're going to do a cost segregation study. A lot of syndicates do cost segregation studies. Some don't. So you just want to double check and verify there. And then when you get that K-1 next year, that K-1 is going to show a loss on box two of that rental activity. And uh, it's usually pretty sizable in our experience. And you're going to be able to use that to offset the gain on sale of that property you, you sold in 2022. So that's about it for the year-end tips. If you do have questions around year-end tax strategies, go ahead, join that Facebook group, Tax Smart Investors. Uh, it's www.facebook.com slash group slash Tax Smart Investors. And uh, go ahead, jump in. Who knows? You might get an answer from one of us, or we might include your question on a future episode of Tax Smart REI. So we'll see you there, and we'll catch you on next week's episode of Tax Smart REI. Oh yeah, one last thing before I go. Happy Thanksgiving. Everybody have a great Thanksgiving holiday. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please find us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com with any feedback or topic suggestions. We are always taking on new clients and with the new tax laws in play, you really don't want to navigate this alone. Let us help you save money on taxes and with your accounting and CFO needs. To become a client, navigate to our client page at therealestatecpa.com and fill out a web form with as much detail about your situation as possible. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week.